John McClain with us. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing great. John has covered the league for more than four decades. He and PK, Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors. We'll get to that decision in a moment on the, the 15, voting on the 15. But first, Paul, uh, John, we were discussing, Paul, Chad, and myself, the, the story out of Houston about Easterby. What's your general uh, reaction to the story of uh, the behind-the-scenes uh, uh, control that he requires with the organization? First of all, I've never seen so much made in national media by a guy that's never been involved in the decision-making process. He cannot make a decision, even as an interim GM, and they haven't done anything but minor moves with the practice squad. They signed Josh McCown. Uh, they trade a guy that had never played to the Cowboys for a seventh-round pick, but he talked to his coaches, and he relies heavily on his personnel people. What he does is the same thing Bill O'Brien gave him the authority to do, which was oversee all the other departments that O'Brien didn't want to do. O'Brien was interested in personnel and coaching, calling plays, but no move did Easterby ever want to make that O'Brien didn't sign off on. And uh, in that story, Sports Illustrated has been working on this for two months. They put two of their best reporters on it. And for two months, they contacted as many people as they could, mainly on LinkedIn, and, and promised them anonymity. And when you promise anonymity, people can say anything about you, whether it's true or not. And um, I like the fact the Houston Chronicles has a policy. We can rip anybody we want as long as it's legal. We can use, but we can't use anonymous quotes to rip people. Uh, we can use anonymous quotes in news stories, which we do all the time, but not to rip people. And I like that. And um, so anyway, there's a lot of people that don't like him. And, and the, all the positive quotes in that story, and it's a great story, are from people not with the Texans that have worked with him along the way. I know Bill Belichick liked the guy because he helped him get hired here. And Scott Pioli helped him after working with him in Kansas City. But people here have been wanting him fired. The media here has been relentlessly against him since O'Brien was fired. And the reason is, Bill O'Brien told us every step of the way for the last last season that that how closely he worked with Easterby. And he thought they could win a Super Bowl with Easterby working with him. And it was O'Brien and Easterby. So people associate everything O'Brien did bad with Jack Easterby. They're trying to blame him for the Hopkins trade. That's not true. O'Brien wanted to trade Hopkins for a year. Hopkins even talked to me about it before the 2019 season because he knew he was going to try to get a raise with three years left on his contract, $10 million a year. And so uh, there's a lot of things in there attributed to him that I know, now I'll say not a lot, a few things that I know that aren't true. But when you listen to people who can talk anonymously, they'll convince you that they're right. And a lot of the people just may not know. There's a lot of talk here about who they talk to there's two or three people I can tell because things they had in there, those people had told me off the record. But as you can imagine, it's the biggest story in town. We had online three stories, a column. We linked to their story. And uh, it's not going to die anytime soon. And people nationally kept saying he was going to be the GM. And I quoted Cal McNair immediately after O'Brien was fired. He would not be the general manager, but some of them are still skeptical. And it's amazing 
how people don't believe you nationally when you tell them he has no chance of being the GM, and I don't believe he'll even be here next season. I think he will quote-unquote resign and go to one of the teams where he worked with the coaches for six years in New England, like Brian Flores. The Dolphins were interested in him before he came here, or Joe Judge with New England, and I think he'll slide into the background, and instead of being executive VP of football ops for a general manager who lets him do a lot that he doesn't want to do, he'll be going back to more of a character coach, a motivator, a Mr. Positivity coming to work every day. So, and for those that aren't familiar with this story, uh, what we're talking about, uh, SI.com, Jenny Vrentis, Greg Bishop, as John said, had this two-month-long investigation into Jack Easterby uh, with the Texans and his entire background. And, John, just in general, what did you think when Easterby was hired by the Texans? And what do you make of this meteoric rise into that kind of position uh, but you're saying it's position position that have really any on field decision making that goes with no, it. No, absolutely. But that's not. A, that's a big part of the piece, though, right? Is how do you go from motivational character coach to team chaplain to this position now with the Texans? What do you think of that rise for Jack Easterby in his career? He started. He was with New England for six years. He rose up to being a Bill Belichick confidant. That was in the story. Belichick loves the guy. The Crafts did not. It got out when it Reesterby's contract was up that he didn't want to stay there because he didn't approve Bob Kraft's lifestyle. That's after he got into trouble in Palm Beach. And so I think that probably turned the Crafts against him. And so Miami, Carolina, and one other team were talking to him. I don't know if they offered him jobs. The Texans, on a strong recommendation for Belichick, and he had never met O'Brien, recommended him. They came here in March of uh, 2019, and they gave him a title of player development, something like that. And Jack's a great talker. If you met him, boy, you'd be impressed with how he talks. We've only talked to him once on the record. He has not talked at all uh, to anybody. And uh, we made many requests. I've asked him. He just won't talk. I tried to get him to talk about being the interim GM, trading deadline coming up he doesn't talk but behind the scenes he he got he got cal mcnair and bill o'brien to believe he knew what he was doing and by all accounts a lot of things that he oversaw medical nutritional contracts um, um, strength and rehab things that come under the gm that o'brien didn't want to do but o'brien kept up with it they were constantly met every day and then O'Brien's the one that got him promoted after the 2019 season executive VP of football ops. Sometimes GM has that title too, but that means you work for the general manager. And O'Brien was the GM. And several times during the season, Cal McNair would remind me, he said, remember, you know, Jack's involved in the contract negotiations, but Bill had, Bill's involved and he has to sign off on everything because he's the GM. So a lot of people nationally didn't understand that for whatever reason, they didn't check it carefully. Cause when I did a bunch of shows before the new England game, one lead in on NBC, Boston, the voiceover said, Jack Easterby traded Deandre Hopkins. Jack Easterby did all these things. And I said, guys, I hate to burst your bubble, but not one thing I said is true. And then I explained it to them. And I think they didn't believe me. I, I found it weird that he's in charge of the strength 
program? How would... He's not in charge of it. He he, he oversees, oversees it for O'Brien. Yeah, but why would O'Brien not want in on that? What head coach isn't interested because in Because he's being a head program? coach and he's being personnel, the play caller, and he oversees all personnel. And he kept up with his strength in the rehab. He just didn't want to have to do it every day like GM's supposed to. Do you buy that Easterby, uh, it, it seemed clear in this article that he like built relationships with certain people that he that he he has fans and he has detractors and he kind of did this divisive thing where he kept them apart from each other. The thing I found most interesting was that like uh, they they reported that certain departments weren't allowed to talk to other departments, which is very odd. Yeah, no, that's not true. Bill O'Brien he he got in good with Bill O'Brien, the coach and GM, and Cal McNair, the owner. And when you get in good with the owner and the GM and the coach, you don't need to worry about anybody else. And so O'Brien talked to everybody. He couldn't separate him from anything. And I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Cal McNair never met with all the department heads. So I'm not exactly sure what they said in there, what they were talking about, that he kept departments from talking to each other. Because I talked to a lot of people over there. And we're talking about personnel side, not the administrative side, which is run by the team president, Jamie Roots, and he has no authority over there. Like people try to act like he fired the VP of communications, Amy Powell, he had nothing to do with it. He couldn't do it if he wanted to, because she comes under the whole different administrative side. And uh, so they made him look like a lot more powerful and influential than he is. And, uh, but it's true. He doesn't have a lot of backers in that organization, but now, He's got one, and that's the, the owner, and that's really the only one that matters. So everybody here's worried. You know, they Cal McNair has an advisory group of Tony Dungy, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Andre Johnson, Rod Graves, longtime executive, thirty-five years in the NFL. He's the head of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, a Houston native, and R.C. Buford, longtime general manager of the Spurs. And I asked Cal when I interviewed him about this this week why. He had R.C. Buford. He said, well, my dad and I, for a long time, admired the way the Spurs ran their organization, the consistency. He said, I want to talk to him about building culture, about uh, the the organizational structure and the consistency through the years. And I thought that was pretty shrewd. And I'm curious if those others will all tell him you're not going to be able to get a good general manager if you keep Jack Easterby around. That was way before this story came because his reputation around the country wasn't bad at what he does. It's how he's gone about doing it, and he's upset so many people. And he did it in New England. Now he's doing it here. And uh, and so that that's the key. Well, they talked to him about it. The main search committee is Cal McNair, team president Jamie Roots, and Jed Hughes, the Corn Ferry consulting firm who they've used two times so will they tell cal mcnair he's got to know this he reads this story but like all those things about jack easterman's resume with screenshots uh that's been talked about here for a long time and the way he would tell it and the way he's told it is he had no control over that that was done by media relations people but I think that's got to be hogwash because, as you point out, media relations people send the pages before they put them in the media guide to the people involved, and so they can sign off on them. So I think at some point after the GM's hired, 
And Easterby's not on the search committee. He's not on the ad hoc group. He is, he will be consulted, but that's it. And everybody acts like, you know, he's all powerful. He's not even involved in the search for a GM and a head coach, but I'll, I'll be surprised if sometime before next season, he doesn't quote unquote resign. These couple uh people that McNair has involved in the GM search, um, at least according to what I read from Florio, are all advising McNair separately as opposed to meeting as a committee. It, it sounds like a strange structure. Tell us how that's working. Well, you can't meet as a committee, and it's not a committee. Uh, it's a group. A committee would be getting paid. It's it's advisors, consultants. He will. There's no need for them to get together. They couldn't get together. You know, he's not going to put them on a Zoom and have them all arguing about it. He's, he's been talking to them for now for over a month. He just decided to go public with who they are. So it, he'll talk to each of them separately on Zooms or conference calls or on the cell phone. And he said they've been very helpful, especially Tony Dungy and Jimmy Johnson starting to get into it. And one of the things you got to worry about is all those guys promoting their friends. And some of them might be good and some of them might not. And he understands that, but, I know if I was in that position, I would certainly want people consulting with me. They have no power to make decisions, but uh, they'll help him get the list and he'll be doing the interviews. And then when they get that list down to finalists, he'll want to know what each one thinks about it. So I think it's very wise. John, we'll get your take on a few AFC matchups this weekend um, that our listeners can put the bank on and and go to the bank and and cash that check on Monday morning. Colts at Raiders. Indy got lucky last week with the botch snap at the end of the game from Watson, and the Raiders were extremely lucky to face Greg Williams on the final play. DeForest Buckner against Josh Jacobs should be a fun matchup on Sunday. Do we know if Jacobs is playing for sure because he's been out the last two? And reading and, and reading uh, on the game, I I believe he's back at practice this week. Well, that would certainly help if he yeah, could play, of course. I think he's back. And I think five years from now, when Trevor Lawrence is tearing it up, people are going to in New York and have a Greg Williams day because if he hadn't done that, Jacksonville would have the inside track on that last pick. And so Jacksonville would get Trevor Lawrence. So I don't know why everybody's up so upset anyway with the Jets because Greg kept them from winning. Yeah. And they would have lost that pick and their schedule's tough. So they're going to go 0-16. But the Raiders... I know everybody's picking the Colts, and maybe it's because I just watched the Colts. They don't run the ball real well. Texans defense shut them out in the second half, and they were in position to win the game on a two-yard line on second down. Bad snap of the center. It's the first one I can remember him having in five years. And then he let a guy blow by him and go bust up Watson trying to get the fumble, and the linebacker recovered. But I picked the Raiders. They're at home. They can't afford to lose another game. This is a must win for them. It is tough. As you guys know, in AFC, there's going to be a good team or two not make the playoffs. So I went with the Raiders at home. I just can't imagine they play a third consecutive bad game. Bills and Steelers, Sunday night football. Pittsburgh has been very one-dimensional lately. They've thrown it 322 times since they were in Nashville to face the Titans. And and for the Bills, Josh Allen has played his best games against the best defenses on his schedule this year. And he's been average to below average against very average to below average defenses. What gives on Sunday night? Every time I see the Bills, I think I remember the Texans beat them in the playoffs here and how far those two teams have gone in opposite directions. A lot of that has to do because 
coaching GM and moves that were made. But I went with the Bills because they're a very balanced team. They seem to be, you know, they're trying to stay in first place and win the division, which they should over Miami. And the Steelers, one of the things, besides not being able to run the ball, one of the things Washington did is they brought up their 2D coverage closer and they dropped their linebackers a little more and they took away what Ben Roethlisberger likes to do, throwing slants, intermediate routes over the middle and dared him to throw to the sideline or deeper passes, which of course are higher risk. And it worked to perfection. Plus they got a good defensive line, but um, it's amazing. Steelers were 11 and 0. Now they could lose two in a row. I can't, they play Cleveland in the last game. Wouldn't that be a mad, unbelievable if Cleveland was in position to win and win a tiebreaker yeah. and overtake them? Really be something that is, I mean, Mike Tomlin saw it coming, sounded like. Yeah. And uh, I, I, they, the Bills are really good right now. It's a, it's a big matchup. And then you have Monday Night Football, Browns hosting the Ravens. I went with the Ravens because they own the Browns and it's a must win for them every week. But, man, I'm still stunned, absolutely stunned as you guys are at what the Browns did to the Titans. It's like the Titans left it in Indy. I was stunned when the Titans crushed the Colts, and I was even more stunned when I saw what the Browns did to the Titans. But, you know, it's not that I don't believe in the Browns, but I think the Ravens are better, and they're going to get on a little late roll. They play the easiest schedule after this game, and I think they'll make the playoffs. John McClain, follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, thank you as always, and we will chat with you on Tuesday to recap this weekend. That sounds great, guys. Thank you very much, and good luck to the Titans. John McClain, he is headed to Chicago, Texans and Bears on Sunday. Midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone. Coming up this afternoon.